morning, everybody. Welcome to Cross Point. I'm excited that you guys are here. My name is Jason Piffle. If you haven't met me before, I'm excited that you guys could be here this morning. Uh, we are in the middle of this series in the book of Psalms. We haven't hit every psalm. That would quite take a long time, wouldn't it? So we've hit about six or maybe so, so far. We've got a few more left, and then we'll be transitioning to another uh, series in mid-August. So, um, but I'm excited that you guys are here. Uh, it's been an interesting week. Uh, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I think about the book of Psalms, um, I don't know, maybe I'm just not artsy enough. Uh, I, I probably haven't written my wife any poetry uh, any time in the last uh, 23 years ever, probably in my lifetime. Uh, and so sometimes when I read the book of Psalms, I just have a hard time connecting. I have a hard time finding out, okay, what in the world does this have to do with me and my life? Uh, and so when I was given this psalm, we're actually going to be uh, in Psalm uh, 95 today, and we're going to be talking about verses 1 through 11. Uh, but when I got this passage, I, to be honest, if I could just be absolutely honest, I, I wasn't super excited about it, because I'm sitting there thinking, what in the world am I going to say about this? A guy that who has entered into the book of Psalms and just kind of meant, well, those were nice Little tunes that they had back then, I'm not really sure. I mean, it gives me an insight to David, it gives me an insight to what's going on, but, ah, man, is there something more than that? But when I started unearthing this psalm, man, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And the thing that I told my wife earlier this week was, uh, I'm blown away by the depth and the richness of God's word. And when I read this song, I was just, I was wowed. I was very much that way. And so my hope is that this morning as we move through the psalm that you get to the end of this and you feel that way. That that would be your experience this morning is that you would be wowed by God's word and by God himself. And so this morning I just want to ask, um, I guess maybe just identify the white elephant in the room. And the white elephant is this. All of us in this room come to this place for different motives, don't we? And some of those motives are good, and some of those motives are not so good, and some of the people that maybe aren't here are gone for good reasons, and some people are gone for not good reasons. And so we all come into this place with a preconceived notion of what in the world's going to happen. Uh, maybe today you came because a friend asked you, or maybe you came today because you felt obligated, and if you didn't come today, that you would feel guilty this afternoon by not being here. I think that's real. I think that's honest, and I'm hoping that we undo that today. Maybe you came because you're like, I, I just want to be here with God's people, and I want to worship. That's a great reason to be here. Maybe you're here to see if maybe this place is different than the places that you've been to before. Maybe there's something a little more real, a little more authentic, and I hope you find that this morning. But when it comes down to all these decisions as to whether we come here or we go someplace else or we're trying to find our way, it all starts with the Bible. And the Bible has to be the grid in which informs our decisions. And so my hope is today that I'll show you in the Bible why you should be here. Or if you're not from here, why you should be in a church that loves Jesus and is following him. That's my hope, is that we all leave with that this morning. Because we have a lot of different perspectives this week, I was in a, a commentary by a guy named uh, Donald Williams, and uh, this is actually what he said. Uh, I'm going to bring it up here on the screen for you guys. 
He said this. He said, at the heart of my spiritual renewal, there has always been, or there has been a renewal in worship. And so some of us today might be saying, you know what? I'm just really not excited about my faith. And he was saying, at the heart of moving from someone who's not excited about Jesus to someone who is excited is this thing called worship, which is what we're going to talk about. And this might actually be more like your experience. He goes on to say, to be candid for a good part of my Christian life, I've been bored in church. What passes as worship has been stiff, it's been formal, it's been predictive, and it's been routine. Maybe that's how you feel this morning. Whether you're a Christian or not, you can feel that way. I think that's honest, right? And you may not feel that way. You might come into this place and go, there's no place I'd rather be. And so we all come into this place with different kinds of motives, right? And so I hope is that this passage would really regenerate our hearts. Maybe some sort of response out of this would be that we would reprioritize our lives. We take some things that we have made more important and we maybe move them down a couple rungs as a result of hearing from this scripture this morning. Maybe we would just take a step and move a little bit closer to the face of God. And if that happens, this time right here is worth it. It's worth all of us being here. The people who are listening on the podcast who for some reason couldn't make it, maybe that would be compelling for them. Maybe they'd be like, yes, I want to be in this place where these things are happening. So let's get right to it, right? Uh, we're going to be in verse, uh, start here in the very logical place, verse 1, right? So Psalm 95, verse 1, and let me read it for you. Here's what it says. Oh, come. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. So let me give you a little historical background to what's actually happening. So here's King David, and he's writing this, this basically this um, song. And he's talking about the people coming from all around the land, and they're moving towards the temple to encounter God and to worship God, okay? And so they're gathering. He's saying, oh, come, let's go, everybody. And what is the response to this, to moving close to God, to moving towards God, is to sing. And so if you could put yourself back in those days and imagine a group of people singing the praises of God as they're moving towards the temple. That's exactly what's happening here. And it's not songs of Oh, and I'm whipping myself as I go. You know, it's songs of joyful uh, exuberance, right? They're excited. They're like, I get to be close to God, like physically close. Because back then when there was the temple, they believed that there was a part called the Holy of Holy where the presence of God resided. And so them coming to that place was a way for them to be closer to God. Pretty amazing, right? Something definitely to get excited about. And so this actual psalm is rooted in another story. So if you go back to Exodus uh, chapter 17, and uh, there was basically what had happened was uh, there was Moses, you know, let my people go. There was all the plagues. There was the parting of the Red Sea. And now the people were kind of wandering around the wilderness, heading towards their land. Eventually, before that, heading towards getting the Ten Commandments and then to their land, right? And so they're just gotten out of 400 years of slavery, which you would think they would be very thankful for. And they were starting to get a little bit thirsty. And so they did what every other human being does who's sinful is they start to complain. And they go, God, where, have you, where are you? We're getting thirsty. What is your problem? 
Maybe we're better off as slaves back in Egypt. And so God does a miracle through Moses. And Moses and some elders walk up to the top of the mountain, just like this. And Moses takes his staff and he hits the rock and water flows. And that's what this passage is rooted in. And so when it talks about the rock of salvation for these people, they're remembering the time where Moses hit his staff on that rock. Historically, we believe that that was the rock, the one in the picture. And so if you can imagine water flowing and saving the people from dying, that's what they're talking about. And so they're excited and they're remembering what happened. Well, so many times when we look at the book of Psalms, we can look back to these historical things that are happened, but we can also look forward. And when I first read this, I was like, man, that sounds like Jesus, right? The rock of my salvation. He's like the cornerstone, and he's the one in which my faith is built upon. That's true, but that's not what this is talking about. I think there's a better verse, and here it's found in John 19, 34. And so when Jesus was on the cross and he had just died, one of the soldiers walked up to Jesus. This is what happened. He said, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The blood that takes care of our sins, that washes our sins away, and the water that gives us life. I think it's a word picture of this very same thing. I think that there's a connection here. Let me read you another verse here uh, earlier. John 4, Jesus is meeting with the woman at the well this is what he says to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So this rock of our salvation is both this thing in Israel that they're looking back to, right? This thing that historically has happened. And for us, we're looking back to this historical thing that has also happened. The rock of our salvation in which living water flows and we're made alive. It's really pretty cool. And so what should it be our response to this rock of our salvation? A joyful noise, right? Just makes sense. And so we worship. Let's continue on verse 2. Here it is. Again, let us come. So if you think about they're moving towards the temple, they're getting a little bit closer. So let's come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make, again... A joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And so the people are moving closer and closer to God. In fact, this passage can be translated like this. Let us come before his face with thanksgiving. Could you imagine being before the face of God? Does that just give you the chills to think about? To be before the face of the creator of the universe. Amazing, amazing. Exodus 34, this is an encounter where Moses had with the face of God. And so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he had the two tablets of the Ten Commandments of the covenant law in his hands. And he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So something happened to him physically. Something happened that transformed him just simply by pressing in to the presence of God. And I think that happens here in this space. 
when we press in, when we move, oh, come, let's go, and we move into this place and we press into the face of God, it should change us. It should alter our countenance. We should be joyful people, right? We should be different, and people should notice that there's a difference. Sometimes I wonder that if my greatest obstacle, I'm talking about me, maybe you feel this way too, for experiencing that and seeing a change happen as a result of being here, the the greatest problem is not, oh, I didn't like that song, or I didn't like what that, that thing that was said, or I don't like how the chairs are set up, or this building, or it was too hot or too cold. The greatest issue is me. I'm the one that gets in the way of that happening more than anything else, and maybe you can identify with that. You see, here's something else that should happen. If during this time, if during this place, if we are changed, if we become a joyful people who are exuberant to God, other people who are seeking God should notice. That should be attractive to other people who are trying to figure out who Jesus is, to come into a room of people who love Jesus and who show it. Someone should go, man, that's different. There's something different about that. I've never experienced that before. And so it's real life. Which leads me to the question, if that is so great, if that is so awesome, how would we ever want to miss it? You know what I mean? Now, don't get me wrong. I went on vacation last week. All right, so I don't want you to be like, you can't go on vacation, you can't be gone, because that would be very, very legalistic. But I think there should be something in our hearts that says, even on vacation, and I I would be the first to say this, that I I miss something. I miss something by not being here with you all. And I think that's what should motivate us, because I think that's what God is doing in our hearts and our lives, is He's changing us, He's changing our desires. And he's re-prioritizing things. We're like, what is most important? Honestly, being in the presence of God is way more important than anything else we got going on in life. Way more. And it's worth it. But you could be asking yourself this question. Why? Why should I worship? Like, why should that even be a thing for me? And so let's continue on here in verse 3. It's up on the screen. Why should I worship? For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. We worship God because he's great and he's amazing. And we worship God because he's our king, he's in control, he's the master of the universe. That's why. Now, I don't want you to think that because this says great king above all other gods, that God is in some way saying, I'm the most and the greatest God, and these other people are, they're gods, but they're lesser. Because that's not right. I don't want you to think that. That would be theologically inaccurate. But here's what I do think it is saying. This reverse is referring to all the things in life that we make more important than God himself. So in a sense, anything that we reprioritize and we make above God is a little 
lowercase g God. So let me give you examples. It might be made up gods like Allah or Buddha. It may be that. That's a little lowercase g. That's something that we've created. But it may be a person. It may be the Pope. It may be atheism. Maybe for you, atheism is the ultimate, or intellectual is the key. Well, that has become your God, if that's the case. Maybe it's money. Money is the most important thing. It's the thing that I, or things, that I can buy with money. It's the thing that it, it carries my focus. It's the thing that I talk about is this source, and it is the direction of where all my affections go. That's your little lowercase g, God. It might even be other things that are still good, like our spouses or our kids. Maybe ourselves. These might be the things that we make higher than God. These lowercase g gods. And so what really makes God better than those? I think that's a good question. So why is he better? Just because it says he's great, does that, is that enough? Well, it goes on, which is pretty cool. Verse 4, here it is. It says, In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are also his. And so God is everywhere. And what I like about this imagery is that these things are in his hands, which means he's controlling them. He's molding them. He's keeping these things in line. And there's no place that can hide from this great and awesome God. No place. He's everywhere, geographically, everywhere we can possibly think about him. That's where he is. He's both vertically, okay, so this is what we're talking about right now, the heights of the mountains and the depths of the earth, both vertically gigantic. But then the next verse goes on and says, the sea is his for he made it. In his hands, again, his hands form the dry land. He's intimately involved in what's going on. And so there's this vertical element, and then there's this horizontal element of the seas and the land. God is highly involved in what's going on in this planet. And he is in control because he's the king, and he's our great, great God. You know, sometimes when I think about people on this planet, and I think about like, who would I want to see, you know? Like, I, 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 like, great leaders in the world. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to meet that person. Or I'd like to meet that one. Or, or maybe some awesome musician. I want to go and hang out, you know, get backstage passes because that's awesome and amazing. Or, or maybe some intellectual person who's really super smart. Or maybe it's a Christian leader. And honestly, uh, I become a little starstruck at that. But I think my heart is too easily satisfied Those aren't bad things, but if I truly understand the greatness of God and how amazing and how awesome he is, should I not be more starstruck by him? And should not my response be worship? I think so. Let's continue on verse 6 here. So, O come... Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Literally, this would be the response of the people entering the temple. So they're getting closer and closer, and they enter the temple, and they just fall on their faces because, like, I am in the presence of God, the one who I'm really starstruck for. 
because he's done all these amazing, amazing things. And so that makes sense, right? That people would respond that way. Now, people who are not interested in God whatsoever, they're not going to bow down to God. In fact, they're not going to come close to God. And so that makes sense too, right? So personally, here's what I found about this. I've personally found that when I am more willing to move close to God, when I'm more willing to be like, God, you have it all. You have my entire life and everything it is about me. When I do that, my heart is renewed. And my affections for God are significant. And when I distance myself from God, and when I start entering into life as it's whatever I can do, and it's life is all about me, and it's not really about him, then I feel distant. But that's me. That's not God. God hasn't changed at all. That's all about me and my perspective on this thing. And so this verse tells us that they worshiped and they bowed down. Bowing and kneeling is really a response of humility, right? And this word worship literally means to prostrate oneself. To like put your face in the dirt. Because God is so amazing and I understand that I am not at all amazing. Moses did this when he encountered God in Exodus 34. Uh, verse 8 says this, and he bowed his head toward the earth and here was his response and he worshipped. There's a physicality to worship, I think. I don't do it well. Some of y'all do it well. But I think there's a physical response to being in the presence of God. And I wonder if sometimes I don't respond physically because I really don't believe that I'm in the presence of God. But all of this communicates this, right? That the God that we know is amazing and he is superior and I am inferior. So how do I know that we're inferior? I would add this. We can't save ourselves. I grew up most of my life believing I could save myself, okay? A very prideful thing to think, I think. But here's the one piece that I was always missing, always missing this. I never was sure that I had accomplished my goal of saving myself. I never had that assurance ever, 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 ever. And then I saw things in Scripture that said that that was wrong later on. But I never felt that assurance. And see, that assurance, when God is the one who does the saving, when we realize that we are not capable of doing that, that brings us confidence that brings us rest. There's a lot of things that come as a result of that. And because we live lives where we think that we can control things. We think that we can make this happen or this happen or that thing. And then bad things happen to us and we go, what in the world's going on? And we freak out. I think for a long time I did believe that I could be superior to God. I really believe that. I really believe that my life without God would be so much better. For a long time. And then the Holy Spirit came into my life and messed me up <laughs> in a good way. But what is worship? I think that's the crux of this whole entire thing. We've been kind of leading up to it. What in the world is worship? Here it is. This is what I think. Worship is when I humbly surrender to the Creator. 
when I do that, I am worshiping him. It's about surrendering every single part of my life to Jesus. Not to Cross Point Church, don't want you to think that, but to Jesus. Much bigger than this place. Much bigger than what's happening here. And so when I do that, I proclaim that I am not God at all, and I direct my affections to him. That's a big difference. That's very, very different. And that posture of worshiping that we just talked about, being like face down, like that's what that means. It's like, God, you have it all. How do you want me to respond to how awesome you are? You see, every single week that we come into this place, and if you're listening on the podcast, every single week when you come here, you should experience worship. Now, I'm not just talking about singing, am I? There's a lot of things that happen here that are significant. This is the place where hopefully our hearts digest the word of God. And when we digest the word of God and it changes us, we are submitting to God's word and that is worship. Every week, every week that should happen. When we come here and we sing, and I know there's probably a lot of people who are listening and who are here who think of that and go, whoa, that, I'm not going to want to do that. If people actually heard me sing, they would not want me to come back to this place. But the reality is, is that when we sing, it changes our heart. We are vocalizing to God about how awesome he is and how inferior we are. And so for you today, it might just be that you start singing. That might be a great application of what's going on, that you just start singing because you're going, I don't care about anybody around me. It's about me and God right in here. That's it. And I would encourage you to do that. To surrender, to worship for you might mean this. It might just mean simply coming early. Why? You may not know this, but most of the people who are new, they come early. A lot of people, a lot of times they're here at quarter tell. And to have us, people who love Jesus, to come early to say, I'm going to sacrifice my sleep or I'm going to be, try to be more organized in order to get my kids out the door on time so I can be here early. Why? Because I think it's God's will that I interact with people who are far from Jesus that he's bringing into this space. For you, it might be not darting for the door after we're done. It might be just hanging out here and talking to people. That's a sacrifice of our will to God's will. I think that's an act of worship. If we really believe that surrendering to the creator, that's surrendering every part of our lives, that's worship. That's what we want to do in this place. We want to worship. We want people to know that when they come here, there are people who love Jesus and who love them. So what would it look like if our service would change just a tad? It would change, just, or maybe radically change. And this place, 100% across the board, every person who loves Jesus would come here, not for what we can get out of the service, but rather what we can give God as a result of being here. I think that would be amazing, right? I think people would notice that. And so that's the shift 
that I'm calling for us to make. It's to shift into a mode of worship. When we come through these doors or we leave home, that we respond through surrendering every part of our life to Jesus through worship. This passage goes on here in verse 7. Here's what it says. It says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. I think that's amazing. This hand imagery that goes throughout this entire psalm. So not only is God the God of the heavens, the God of the depths, the God of the seas, the God of the lands, lambs, but he's the God who has his hands around his sheep, creating security, creating comfort. When things are going bad, God's there. He's got his hands around us. That's an amazing God who can both be huge and intimate at the same time. That's amazing. And that's a God that we should worship. Let me read this verse here. It's a great verse in uh, John chapter 10, 25 to 30. Jesus is talking. This is what he says. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. So he's talking to people who aren't Christians, who, people who don't trust him. And this is, now he's talking about Christians. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The hands of God are important. It's where we experience connection to God. So why should we worship why should we humbly submit and surrender to God? It's because he's God. <laughs> he's the Lord. He's the maker. He's the supplier of everything that's going on on this planet. He's the saver of my soul, of our souls. And we should worship God because we are his possession. We belong to him. It's, we are the people that he has given his life for. John 10, 11 says this. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, what? Lays his life down for the sheep. We as Christians have been purchased with a price. And that price has been the death of Jesus on the cross. And so we should respond in worship because we are not any of those things. We're not capable of saving ourselves or anyone else. We can't make anything. We manipulate what God's already done. And so we should respond in worship. This passage ends uh, here in verse 7. It kind of goes 7 through 11, the last part. And it's really a warning. So the first part is about worship. It's all the things we talked about. And now this last little chunk is really a warning. And a warning that I think can potentially... Uh, I don't know, I think maybe motivate us. Sometimes it's good, a good thing. And so it starts out like this. I'll just read the whole thing. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as, it, as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness. So he's talking about this whole thing that happened at the rock that we talked about at the beginning. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, 
They saw all the things that God did, right? But they still were grumbling. And so this was God's response. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. I would not want to be in that situation. And said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. And they've not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. So it starts out, today, if you hear his voice... I think that's a great thing to unpack because when I was a kid, so uh, 15 years old, I think is what it was, so a long time ago, really long time ago, um, I remember going to a, a conference, a youth conference, and this guy's name was Dawson McAllister. Some of you guys may even know who I'm talking about, but he was an evangelist. I didn't know he was an evangelist. I wasn't a Christian, and I had gotten duped into going to this thing, and uh, so I went to this conference with my friends. And uh, because that was my motivation. And I remember sitting in the seat in this hall and I remember what I would consider the voice of God. What I consider the Holy Spirit moving in me and encouraging me to repent and to turn to him. And that Jesus would become the source of my affections rather than myself. I remember that as clear as today. I remember that happening. And I resisted. I didn't want any part of that. Because God was boring. God was going to ruin my life. I wasn't going to have any fun. wasn't really having a whole lot of fun anyway. But that's all the things that were in my head. And so I left that moment, what I would say, in a way that I was thankful that my heart wasn't so hardened that a couple years later, I, when I did respond, that happened. But I think something kicked in right there. And I'm going to tell you about it in just a second. You see, people who don't respond to Jesus are moving towards verse 8. But I think also Christians who don't press in more, I think the more and more you resist the worshiping of our God the more and more our hearts become hardened and we become like the Israelites who wanted to go back to Egypt. So I think it can happen. I think it can happen both to non-Christians and I think it can happen to Christians. And that might be where you're at today and that's the warning that he's talking about. He's asking us to respond differently than the people of Israel did back then. To not have our hearts hardened. You see, this, this, this thing that happened right here is really no different than the garden. Okay, back in the garden, you know, what happened? Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. They took the apple, but there was so much more than that. The reason they did it is because they believed that God was holding out on them, that they believed that God was trying to oppress them and make them lesser when they had this ability to be greater and potentially even be greater than God. And that same exact thing happened for me when I was back in that conference and I thought, I can be the God of my own world. I wouldn't have articulated it that way, but my actions spoke that, definitely. Because I didn't want anything to do with God. And so honestly, when I think about life, I think our, the greatest sin, right? The greatest sin and the greatest obstacle to worship is pride. A non-Christian isn't going to be a worshiper of God. And so that pride is what keeps them from entering into a worshipful relationship with the Creator. 
But I think the same exact thing can happen for us in this room. It is pride that gets in the way of us pressing into the face of God and physically moving forward to encounter God and who he is. Pride is what started that giant boulder of sin moving way back when, like we just talked about. Pride is the thing that keeps us from responding to Jesus. It's that voice inside that says that Jesus can't be true or that God's going to ruin my life. That's pride. It's pride that says we can do better without God, whether you're a Christian or not. Whether you would physically say that or your actions say that, that's pride that gets in the way. It's pride that keeps us from encountering God into worship. It's pride that says... I'll feel silly if I respond, or I'll feel silly if I sing. That's pride. It's pride when we worry about what other people think about our worship, or if we take a stand for Jesus. That's pride. It's pride that keeps us from engaging in this place in the way that God wants us to. That's pride. And so self-sufficiency is really the manifestation of pride. So when you start looking at your life and you, start, and you can analyze how, you're like, how, is, how am I doing spiritually? If your life is full of self-sufficiency and not a whole lot of dependence upon God, you're probably not doing too well. Another quote from Donald, here's what he said. He said, the answer to the hardness of our heart is hearing the voice of God, which comes in the context of joyful worship. Do we want God to change us? Worship. You want, you want life to be different for you? You want to grow as a believer? Surrender your life to God in worship. Not just singing. That's a huge part. But every single thing in our life, everything, we surrender and we worship. Are you looking for renewal? That's it. Press in. Worship. You want your life to be different? Press in, worship. So the last part of this verse talks about rest. In the last part he says, these people did all these things, therefore I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter rest. And what they were remembering is they are remembering the time where the people responded this way, were callous towards God, were self-sufficient, they thought they could do better with God, and God said, all right, but then you don't get to go in the land. You don't get to go in the promised land. And so he waited and had them wander around and wander around until that generation died. And then he let them go in. And so this psalm is talking about, wow, aren't we thankful that eventually this all kind of transpired. And we had a group of people who understood who God was. And we moved into the land and God gave us rest instead of wandering around and around and around. And I think sometimes that's what we do. We just wander around, around, around. We're trying to find this self-help thing to make our life better, or this thing to make our life better, when really all we need is worship. And we find our rest in the rock of our salvation, the one in which living water flows, and that's Jesus. That's where we find our rest. That's true rest. I didn't have rest until I was 17 years old. And I sat on a bus and I prayed to receive Jesus by myself in the middle of the night. Didn't have rest. Up until that point, I was like, I don't even know what's going on in my life. I don't even know what in the world I'm supposed to be doing. I don't get it. 
My friends are becoming Christians. I don't get it. They're super nice, but they're weird. Like, I don't know. You know, that's what I thought. And then this thing clicked, and it changed my life forever to the place where now I'm 45 almost, and I can sit back and go, remember those moments in time that were so significant for me, the point in time in which I changed, and I changed from being a worshiper of me to being a worshiper of Jesus. And I can rest in that, and we can rest in that. So when we see who God is, we can really see who ourselves are. That's kind of like that thing that Jamie showed a few weeks ago. Remember that we had the up, up slope where we're learning who God is more and more. We had the down slope where we're understanding just how truly sinful we are. And we're thankful that the cross looms larger. If you remember that a few weeks ago. That's what we're talking about. When we truly see God for who he is and I understand who I truly am and I see the magnitude of the cross that changes my life and my affections are stirred for God through worship. I surrender my life to that. That's life altering. So in my non-artsy way here, the question is, is, what is our song? What should we be singing on a daily basis? When we draw near to the face of God, who we need, and who is worthy of our praise, that's worship. Draw near to the face of God who we need and who's worthy of our worship. And in humility, worship the rock of our salvation, the one from which living water flows. See, God wants us to move from pride to humility. He wants us to move some, from self-sufficiency to worship. And it all starts right here in this room. And it all starts right here for the people who are listening on the podcast. How will we choose to press in to the face of God?